0: following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's word is a real blessing to you. Well, last week, we took a week off of our series from Ezra, and so this morning we're going to jump back in, and I'd like to begin by reading verses 1 through 10. We're going to work through the entire chapter of Ezra 7 today, uh, but just to begin, let's read verses 1 through 10. It says, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Saraiah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitab, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested, because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the first month, He began to go up from Babylon, and on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, to appreciate where we are in the story of Ezra, uh, we we need to just step back for a moment and and remember uh, where we are in the story. All right, so let me back up here. I jumped ahead too quickly there. Uh, There we go. And and so remember where we are in the story here. And and so we've talked about the fact, we've worked our way through Ezra chapters 1 through 6, and remember that the story of the book of Ezra begins when Zerubbabel leads the first group of Jews to return uh, to Jerusalem uh, after the Babylonian captivity. And uh, they endured a lot of challenges, but ultimately, by, by God's grace, in 516 B.C., they finished building the temple. And they celebrated that how God had blessed and how God had brought them to that point. But you notice here that chapter 7, verse 1, begins by saying that we have now jumped to the reign of Artaxerxes, right? So, so Artaxerxes is down here, 464 to 424 B.C., and verse 8 of chapter 7, narrows the focus even further to the seventh year of his reign, which which scholars date to 458 B.C. All right, so that means that there's roughly a 60-year gap between chapter 6, verse 22, and chapter 7, verse 1. Now, you might wonder, well, what in the world happened during that 60-year period? And, of course, you can see that one of the big things that happened during that time is the story of Esther happens between the first and second return of Israel. Of course, that's happening often in Babylon, but, but you're wondering, well, what's happening in Jerusalem? And, and the Bible doesn't tell us much about what happened in Jerusalem during this time. Really, the only uh, thing that is told to us is in chapter 4, verse 6, we are told that during the reign of Xerxes, who would have been Artaxerxes' father, uh, that, that the Samaritans, the, the neighbors to the Jews, had sent a letter to him, trying to turn him against Israel. So we can imagine that throughout the 60 years, that the Jews continued to deal with hostility and opposition and hardship in their efforts to serve God. And probably because of that hardship, Israel's zeal for the Lord slowly waned. Remember that when they built it, when they finished the temple, they were fired up for, for, for holiness and for worship and for obedience to God. But by the time Ezra gets back to this, to Jerusalem, he's going to find that many of the Jews had married Samaritan women, which is something that, that would have been unimaginable in the time of, of Ezra chapter 4. But probably what happened is they had so much hostility around them that, that in an effort to, to build relationships, to mend fences, to get along with their neighbors, they began marrying some women from, from the foreign nations around them to try and try and eliminate some of that opposition and, and to build bridges with their neighbors. And so, and so Israel's state is not at all what they thought it was going to be. You know, God prophesied that someday he's going to make them a great nation. They're going to be glorious and spiritual. Their hearts are going to be given to the Lord. But still, when we come to Ezra 7, they they're just a small group of people, only, you know, probably under 100,000 of them, they're struggling, with, or they're struggling to, to, to be holy and committed to God, and they're not what God had promised that they would ultimately be someday. But God is always faithful. And so even though things are not going so well back in Jerusalem, God is moving in the heart of a man named Ezra all the way back over in Babylon. And God is going to use Ezra not only to impact a generation, but, but to set a course for for the nation of Israel that's going to continue into the time of Christ. I mean, Ezra really is a great man. And, and so today, uh, we want to talk about this man Ezra. and Ezra chapter 7, and it introduces us to him. And we're going to see that the narrator of Ezra 7 is going to emphasize over and over two major themes. The first, we're going to see that Ezra sets a powerful example for us in the fact that he spent years... Preparing for this moment. He studied God's word. He worked hard to practice God's word. And he prepared to, to make an impact through teaching God's word. But he was ready to be used of the Lord. And then the second major theme that this chapter emphasizes is that God blessed Ezra's preparation. And it wasn't ultimately Ezra that caused all these good things to happen, it was God blessing his work and his diligence. So, so today I trust that we'll be challenged by Ezra's diligence and that we'll be encouraged by God's kindness. And so with that said, uh, let's jump into the text. And, um, and verses 1 through 10 uh, highlight the fact that Ezra prepared diligently to serve the Lord. But, but really, the, first, the text first highlights the fact that God had uniquely prepared him. And, and for this important role, and, and in particular, uh, verses 1 through 5 of the text emphasize uh, Ezra's ancestry, and specifically, it traces Ezra's ancestry all the way back to Aaron, of course, the brother of Moses and Israel's first high priest. Now, now this is not a complete genealogy, right, because we're talking about close to 1,000 years of history. But, but he highlights a number of very significant ancestors of Ezra in order to make a point. So, for example, he mentions Sariah as the first ancestor mentioned in verse 2. And and Sariah was the high priest, uh, the last high priest before the destruction of the temple. And in fact, 2 Kings 25 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar killed Sariah as the high priest uh, of the Jews when when he uh, took the city of Jerusalem. He also mentions Zadok. Zadok was a very significant high priest in the time of David and Solomon. So he was the priest that that helped uh, David bring the ark into Jerusalem for the very first time. He stood by David when it looked like Absalom was going to crush him, but he was faithful. And then he was the the high priest who anointed Solomon to become the king after David. As well, he mentions Phineas. Phineas is a significant figure because when Israel was in the wilderness and, and a plague broke out because of their rebellion, God used Phineas's zeal for the Lord to stop the plague. So, so the author here, he brings up all of these ancestors to, to make the point that Ezra came from a family of some of the most devoted, influential servants of God in the nation's history. And we're going to see that Ezra is going to live up to his family heritage and, and for the most part, surpass it. And Ezra really is an incredible man. And the text emphasizes the fact that Ezra's greatness was not ultimately, though, rooted in, in his family heritage. It was rooted in Ezra's preparation. Ezra's preparation. And I want to emphasize today that Ezra's greatness and, and his influence did not ultimately stem, you know, this, this all wasn't just dropped in his lap. It wasn't something that, that was just given to him. No, he worked hard. to to prepare himself to be used of the Lord. So so notice verse 6. Verse 6 says that he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. Now, now when we hear that word scribe, we we, we might initially assume that that a scribe is someone uh, who would just transcribe manuscripts or or, or copy manuscripts, transcribe speeches and and copy manuscripts. So so we might think of a scribe as simply uh, some type of secretary. But but when we look at the story of Ezra and then working into the story of the New Testament, we find that that Ezra really took that role of a scribe and he transformed it from just a secretary into being a scholar of the Old Testament. So, So beginning with Ezra and continuing into the time of Christ, the scribes were people who knew the law inside and out. And it was their job to interpret the law for the people of Israel and to apply it to their lives and to teach it to them. So so when you read about the scribes here, or when you read about the scribes in the New Testament, you you should think of the scribes as essentially the the, the Bible professors, the the scholars, the the, the teachers of God's word to the people of Israel. And Ezra is the one that began all of that. And and notice that, that he was not just a scribe. The author tells us that he was skilled in the law of Moses. It's interesting that the Hebrew word translated skilled there actually means, it literally means rapid. And, uh, and Derek Kidner uh, tells us the significance of it here. Uh, he says, I'm um, going to find it, he says it, that it describes a quickness of grasp and ease of movement amid this complex material, which was the fruit of devoted study. So, so the idea there is, is that Ezra was skilled, he, was, he had a quick recall. He knew God's word inside and out. And if you asked him a question, he knew the answer just like that. Not just because he was brilliant, but because he studied hard. He thought hard and he was ready to teach. So, So he was a gifted scholar. And verse 10 tells us how he became such a gifted scholar. It says again in verse 10, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. This is probably, in fact, I'd I'd be confident in saying that this is the most famous verse in the book of Ezra. And and when I was training to be a pastor, going through Bible college and seminary, this is a verse that came up all the time, but because it's a great verse for, for anyone who aspires for spiritual impact. And that's not just true for pastors. It's true for people that Uh, Deacons, youth workers, children's workers, parents, anyone who wants to make an impact for Christ, this is a great verse to to inspire you and challenge you. So so I hope that all of us will will pay attention to this verse because if you're a Christian, you ought to want to be someone who impacts people with God's word. So so pay attention to this verse and notice in particular that, that the author highlights three activities of Ezra that prepared him to be used of God. And the first is, is that he studied. He studied God's word. Now, now I want to emphasize um, uh, emphasize here that, that Ezra's study well, was rooted in, in a deep reverence for God's word. I mean, notice how verse 6 describes him. It says he taught, he was skilled in the law of Moses which the Lord God of Israel had given. Now, did Israel know that the law had been given by God? Of course they did. But that little note is given there to emphasize that, that at the heart of who Ezra was, was a conviction that this is God's word. And, and, it, and it was given to us by God's hand. And chapter 7 through 10 are really going to emphasize over and over that, that Ezra believed that. So so his study of the scriptures was not just an academic duty. You know, this wasn't just about curiosity. It wasn't about making himself smarter than everyone else. No. Verse 10 says he set his heart to study God's word. And and you know, every type of spiritual impact always begins with a passionate desire to know God's word because you treasure God's word. Psalm 119, verse 72 says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Would you like to have thousands of pieces of silver and gold? I think all of us would. But but the psalmist says that this book is better than that. Verse 97 says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. We are to love God's word. And 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 2 says, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You Do treasure the scriptures like that? I mean, do you long for God's word like a baby longs for milk? And does that passion for the scriptures inspire the kind of devoted study that we see from Ezra? You know, I think it's so important for us as Christians to understand that, that we better never be content with just getting our golden crumb every day. You know, get my little nugget of truth, you know, to kind of get me through the day. You know, the doctor you know, you know, said, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, so a verse a day keeps the devil away. I mean, if that's your mindset, you're missing it. You know, my, my heart should be that I want to know God. And that means I want to go deep into his word, study hard, think hard, because this word is our life. Folks, I mean, I mean, Christianity is different from every other religion because we are a religion that is rooted in thinking hard about the truth of scripture. You know, we're not, we're not like the, the Mormons. You know, Mormonism is very much a, 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 an emotional religion. You're just looking for a burning in your bosom, however it is that that comes about. You know, we're not like Buddhists. You know, where our goal is to empty our minds of everything. We're not looking to empty our minds, we're looking to fill them. And we're not like Muslims who are, you know, just focused on, you know, this duty and that duty and performing this function and that function. No. Christianity is rooted in the fact that we know our God through deep study of his word. And we impact others by bringing them to this book. You know, that's why, you know, just as a side note, why academic study is so necessary for pastoral ministry. And so often uh, we, we get caught up in, 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 in teaching guys and in preparing to, to run slick programs and, and, and do cool visualizations and things of that nature. And, and obviously, you know, programs have their place and, and, uh, and even cool presentations and, and multimedia things, they have their role. But, but folks, we, we must always remember That that our power for real spiritual impact is rooted in the Holy Spirit working through this book. This is our life. So pastors and all Bible teachers must study the word, and of course that includes you. Because every Christian is called to be a disciple maker. It's not enough. No Christian should be content with just a, a surface, elementary level knowledge of what this book says. We should all be desirous to set our heart to study this word so that God can use us to impact through the word. So Ezra studied. And then secondly, the text tells us that Ezra obeyed. He obeyed. And this is important because Ezra did not just study out of mere curiosity or because, again, he wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. No, verse 10 says he set his heart on practicing it. Now, so we're going to see over and over as we work our way through the book of Ezra, that Ezra was no egghead. no. verse 25 is going to tell us that, that when Artaxerxes listens to Ezra speak, he, he recognizes that this is clearly a man of wisdom and understanding. And his obvious godliness is going to make a, a huge impact in this story. And you know, that's always the case, right? That, that God uses people who don't just know a lot up here, but it transforms everything about them. You know, the old saying, do as I say, not as I do, is not a very good manner of leadership, right? You know, that, that our life has to match what, what we say we believe. You know, the saying that is much truer is the old one that hopefully I can get it right. Your your talk talks and your walk talks but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And it's true, right? That that your life and how the truth of Scripture transforms your character is what people see and what what makes an impact in their life. So, So deacons, youth workers, parents, children's workers, anyone who's involved in discipleship, evangelists, all of us, Do you want to make a lasting impact for Christ in the lives of people around you? Then then cultivate a godly heart and an obedient life. Because the best gift you can give to your kids, the people that you're burdened to minister to, is that you know this book and that that your knowledge of this book is, is, is producing in you a life of walking in the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit. That's more important than, than anything else that you can give. So set your heart on living God's word just as Ezra did. And then third, he says, it tells us here that he also set his heart to teach. It says he set his heart to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, now I first want to emphasize the order of these three things because it's important. You know, some people love to talk, Right? but they've got nothing of value to say, because they've never taken the time to learn and to grow. And, and yet other people other people are, are real influencers, because when they speak up, you immediately recognize that they're speaking from knowledge. They've done the hard work of study, and you can look at their life, and you can see they have a life that matches what they are calling you to do yourself. And, and so don't jump to number three without first going through steps one and two. You know, that, that's why, like, when we evaluate people for ministry here in the church, we're not just looking for people with, with great gifts. They're funny, they're engaging. I mean, obviously those things are helpful. But, but a godly, mature faith is far more important than any human talent. So, so the order here is very important. But, but assuming that you are learning and obeying Please teach according to the gifts and the opportunities that God gives. Because the Bible everywhere emphasizes that teaching is vital to the Christian family and to the Christian church. Jesus said that we are sanctified by the word. We are transformed through this book. So so that's why preaching and teaching are the central ministries of the church. We we don't come here just to hang out. And to sing songs and enjoy ourselves. Everything we do is centered on this book because this book is what transforms lives. If you're a parent or a grandparent, the best gift that you can give to your children or grandchildren is God's Word. So teach it to them constantly. You know, if you're married, talk about the Scriptures together. When you get together with Christian friends, you know, root your fellowship in the Scriptures. Think about the fact that that as Ezra's there in Babylon, and he probably has some knowledge of what's going on back in Jerusalem, Israel had a lot of needs. They had political needs, diplomatic needs, financial needs, administrative needs. They needed everything. And and yet, what was the one thing that Ezra knew they needed more than anything that he prepared to do? He knew they needed to know this book and, and submit to this book. And so he prepared to teach. And that's just as true today as ever. Because from a human perspective, the perpetuation of Christianity depends more than anything else on us skillfully presenting this book to other people and calling them to believe it and obey it. So so be prepared to teach. Know the scriptures. Live the scriptures. And then don't, as well, just keep it inside. Go out and use God's word to make an impact in the lives of others. So, Ezra prepared diligently. And as a result, notice Ezra's reward. And, um, and we see this in verses 6 through 9. And what this, verses 6 through 9 of the text do is basically they back up and they take a wide-angle view of the events that are taking place in Ezra 7 through 8. So, so really, chapter 8 is going to kind of go back and, and give us more details about what's going on in, in these uh, four verses. So, so again, uh, Ezra prepared diligently to impact his nation, and the narrator here emphasizes in, in a quick form that God blessed his diligence. Now, now we don't know all the details, and, and I'd love to know more detail, uh, but, but apparently the Lord opened a door for him to appeal to the king, and verse 6 doesn't tell us much. It just tells us that that somehow he had an opportunity to go before Artaxerxes, again, the most powerful man in the world of that day. And apparently, he didn't come in and just kind of say, hey, uh, can you help us out a little bit? Can you give us a few dollars? No. I mean, verse 6 tells us that the king uh, gave him granted all that he requested. And verses 12 through 26 are going to go on. To describe a very generous amount of giving from the king. So Ezra must have had his day before the king, and he went in there boldly, you know, expecting God to work and expecting this guy to give him the things that they needed. You know, and, and so God did incredible things. But I want to emphasize that it was all rooted in diligent preparation. And he went in there before the king whenever he had his opportunity. And he went with courage. He went confident in God's power to work and trusting in the Lord. And therefore, God responded to Ezra's diligence. Now verse 6 says that, that all of this happened because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. God blessed. God was faithful. And as a result, the king granted him all he requested. And so verses 7 through 9 then go on to tell us that that Ezra led a second major return from from Babylon to Jerusalem. And and again, next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll talk about more of the details of that return. It's a fascinating story in chapter 8. But for now, notice the main point of verses 1 through 10, that Ezra prepared diligently. And as a result, verse 6 says, that the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. And in case we didn't get it the first time, He says in verse 10, or excuse me, verse 9, all this happened because the good hand of his God was upon him. Now, wouldn't you like that to be true of you? That people could look at your life and say, God's hand is on that person's life. I don't think there's anything that we would want more, right? If if we're thinking accurately. God's favor is the most wonderful blessing we can enjoy. So how do we enjoy it? Well, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, similar to our text, study to show yourself approved unto God. So if you want God's favor, God's blessing, study God's word. You'll know, Live a life of grace-filled obedience. Be a disciple maker who is, who is passionate to impact others. Prepare diligently to be used of the Lord. And as you do, God will bless and verses 11 through 26 then follow uh, by telling us about what God did in response to Ezra's preparation. So, so, verses 11 through, let's go ahead and read verses 11 through 26, which talk about how God moved the king. So, verse 11 says, now this is the copy of the decree which King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest. The scribe learned in the words of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. And now this is a quote, Artaxerxes, King of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God, the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace. And now I have issued a decree that any of the people of Israel and their priests and the Levites in my kingdom who are willing to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For as much as you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And to bring the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. With all the silver and gold which you find in the whole province of Babylon, along with the free will offering of the people and the priests, who offered willingly for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem. With this money, therefore, you shall diligently buy bulls, rams, and lambs. ...with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them on the altar of the house of your God which is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and to your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, you may do according to the will of your God. Also the utensils which are given to you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. The rest of the needs for the house of your God, for which you may have occasion to provide, provide for it from the royal treasury. I... Even I, King Artaxerxes, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the province beyond the river that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, may require of you, it shall be done diligently, even up to one hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, one hundred baths of wine, one hundred baths of oil and salt as needed. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done with zeal for the house of the God of heaven so that there will not be wrath against the kingdom of the king and his sons. We also inform you that it is not allowed uh, to impose tax, tribute, or toll on any of the priests, Levites, singers, doorkeepers, Nethinim, or servants in the house of God. You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God which is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, even all those who know the laws of your God, and you may teach anyone who is ignorant of them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed upon him strictly, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of goods or for imprisonment. Now, at this point in our series, we've looked at a couple of these decrees. We've looked at Cyrus's decree back in chapter 1, and we've looked at Darius' decree in chapter 6. And so, but I hope we don't lose sight of just how significant these things are. That here is Artaxerxes. He is a pagan king. And and, and based on all the evidence we have from extra-biblical records, he was not a nice, godly, friendly guy. He was a wicked, ruthless man like most world emperors are. And yet the good hand of God was on Ezra. And so we see that he shows incredible generosity. And just a few things to, to highlight in the text. Uh, first of all here, uh, we see that, that he... Uh, gave freedom to the Jews to return to their land. Now, now, at this point, it's been almost 80 years since the first return. And yet, Artaxerxes here says, Ezra, you, you are welcome to, to rally as many people as you can. Go home. You know, and, 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 and strengthen the, the Jewish foothold in that territory. Build your national identity And, and prosper. And now Ezra 8 going to say that, that he didn't bring nearly as large of a group as came in the first return. But what you can imagine, you know, they show up, it is a huge morale boost for the people who are there. So, so he gives freedom to return. Uh, secondly, he gives uh, resources to renew worship. Now, now, I think we're probably safe to assume uh, when we read through these verses that, that worship in Jerusalem ha- had really declined had really fallen off in the last 60 years. And Ezra, though, he wants to change that. He loves God's word. He's passionate to go home and to teach God's word and, and, to, and to get them back on track, worshiping the way God had demanded. And incredibly, God uses a pagan king to provide all the resources Ezra needs to, to enact these changes. And, and so we see here that he gives a, a lot of stuff he tells them that they are allowed to have up to a hundred talents of silver, which, by the way, is several tons of silver. That's a lot of money. And he gives all sorts of, of, of animals and, and grain, other things that they need for worship. And, and folks, I want to emphasize that the, the tenor of this entire letter is that of generosity and willingness to give whatever he needs. And so, God, you know, I mean, Artaxerxes is being incredibly kind, and considering just how weak and small the Jews were, I mean, these things were, were were had to be such a blessing and such an overwhelming gift for Ezra to receive. So he gives resources to return. And then the next one's one that we all like. He gives a tax exemption. Everyone likes a tax exemption. It's that time of year where we're doing our taxes. And so the king says in verse 24 that, that everyone that's involved in the temple worship, he says that they are free from tax, tribute, and toll. And of course, that's a big deal because you know, all the people that are involved in, in the worship and the, uh, the 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 care of the temple, you know, if they don't have to go work as much to pay their taxes and they can just focus on the temple, well, well that's a big deal as far as, as allowing the worship to go on the way God desired. And so... The king gives a tax exemption. And then finally, oop, we got ahead there. Uh, Finally, he gives authority to reform. And uh, and just imagine, uh, looking at verses 25 to 26, how amazing it must have been for Ezra to to hear the words of the king speaks. You know, if you think about the fact, you know, that Artaxerxes, I mean, he is, he's the most powerful man in the world at this time. And he's surely surrounded by lots of smart, very gifted people. But he listens to Ezra talk, and he says in verse 25, according to the wisdom of your God which is in your hand. I mean, Ezra, he recognizes Ezra is a unique guy. He is wise. He is a gifted leader. He is trustworthy. And so he sends him home. But, but remarkably, he doesn't send him home to squash rebellions, collect taxes, and, and, and build Persian patriotism. No, instead, he, he gives Ezra royal authority to enact spiritual reforms. You know, so Ezra is, is to create a, a team of Bible teachers and Bible preachers to go around and teach the people God's word. And he even goes so far as to give Ezra authority, the, the authority of the law to punish people who do not obey the teaching of the scriptures. In fact, it goes pretty far in verse 26. Now, now I doubt that that Ezra ever used the full breadth of his authority like to execute people for not obeying God's law. But how incredible is it that this pagan king gives him this authority? So the question is, well, why did the king do all that? Was he just in a really generous mood one day? Was he drunk and not thinking straight, and so he let... Ezra have all these things without really having his full faculties? No. I mean, look again at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Now, this is the copy of the decree which King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe. And then it says, Learned in the words of the commandment of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. Now, folks, when you read through a, a story in Scripture, it's really important that you pay attention to the things that get repeated. Because the things that get repeated, those are the things that the author really wants you to see. So the author has already told us that, right? He just said in verse 10 that he had studied and obeyed and prepared to teach. He turns around and reminds us again that Ezra had, was learned in the commands of God. Why does he do that? Well, he does it to emphasize once again that Ezra prepared himself to be used of God. And his diligence stood out to a powerful emperor who was surely surrounded by a lot of smart people. So, so, folks, none of this is an accident. So, do you want to be used of God to make an eternal impact? I mean, that should be the desire of every Christian, that, that we want our life to matter for eternity in, in, the, in reaching people for Christ and making disciples. Well, Ezra 7 teaches that spiritual impact grows out of a disciplined life of Bible study, of of obedience to Scripture, that's rooted, yes, in gospel power, and that ends in a desire to teach and to influence others for Christ. So so I want to challenge you. Be an Ezra. Don't be content with with just a little bit of surface knowledge of God's Word. Don't be content to just kind of live your Christian life on cruise control, I'm obeying God a little bit, but not really wholeheartedly. And don't be content to just kind of sit in your house and and, and do nothing to reach others for Christ and to make a difference for God's glory. No. I mean, have a desire to go deep into God's word. Run the race hard to, to live a life glorifying to Him and then go after people. Be passionate to pass on this book, to the next generation. And as that is your heart, God will be pleased and God will use you. Yes, you may not ever have the the broad influence of Ezra, but but you will have a a life-transforming impact on people around you. And so so God blessed Ezra's efforts. And, And then finally, notice in verses 27 and 28 that Ezra worshiped thankfully. In verses 27 and 28, this is Ezra's response to the king's decree. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to adorn the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and has extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. Thus I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord my God upon me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Now, now I have to mention, uh, just for our series purposes, that this is the first uh, of a number of first person accounts that come from Ezra. So, so beginning here and, and scattered really through the rest of the book, you have a number of times where, where the narrator is drawing probably on Ezra's personal memoirs. So, so, this is him praising God for the king's decree. And he mentions three blessings of God. And the first blessing he mentions is God's sovereignty. So verse 27, you know, once again emphasizes that that Artaxerxes' generosity was not ultimately about him. It wasn't a stroke of blind luck. No. He says that God put all of this in Artaxerxes' heart. God was sovereign, not the king. Now, Now, we know that, right? We talk about the sovereignty of God all the time. But but folks, it is so important that we work every day to keep that perspective because the world does not want you to believe that God is sovereign. Your flesh does not want to believe that God is sovereign. So, So we need to remind ourselves often that God is in control of every corner of his creation. And because of that, our greatest need is not human skill, brilliant strategies, favor with politicians, or any earthly power, What we need above everything else is the favor and the power of God on our lives. And so Ezra praises God that he is in control. And then secondly, he gives thanks for God's mercy. And uh, and notice there, the first line of verse 28 provides such an important counterbalance to, to a lot of what we say. So he says in verse 28, he says, and God has extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselors. And that, that really is a really important line that I, that I want to emphasize because we, we've talked a lot today about the fact that God honors diligence and hard work. But folks, we always have to remember that our relationship to God and every blessing we enjoy is built on a foundation of grace, not of merit. You know, so, so Ezra here understands... You know, it's not like the king gives the decree and he says, well, God, it's a good thing you did that because I deserved it. No, he says, wow, God, look at your loving kindness to me. And he understood that this was not wages that he had earned that he could demand of God. No, God did this because of his covenant mercy to Israel. Now, that's the idea behind the Hebrew word here for loving kindness has said that God was faithful Not because Israel deserved it, because they didn't, but because he is kind, and he is gracious, and he was committed to his people regardless of their sin and their faithfulness. And of course, it's good for us as Christians to remember as well that our relationship to God is also rooted in his steadfast mercy. Now, I cannot possibly hope to have a relationship with God today And especially not going into eternity based on my work. Because I am a sinner and I always fall short of God's glory and his righteousness. Now, every gift I have, everything that I enjoy, my my only hope of coming before God and having a relationship with him, it is all through the blood of Christ. It is all because of him. And so I want to be very clear that Ezra 7 is not a lesson And how to earn God's blessing. We need to understand that every gift of God is rooted in grace and his grace flows to us through the gospel. So so the first step to enjoying a God's favor is always to repent of your sin and put your faith in what Christ accomplished on the cross. That is our only hope of a relationship with God. And so if you came into church today because you're hoping, well, if I go to church then God will help me out this week. And if I pray, then I get something else from God. And if I do this and this and this, then hopefully someday I make it to heaven. And so, oh, here's Ezra. All right, so if I study the Bible and I obey and and I teach, then then maybe I can have a relationship with God. You're missing the boat. It is all rooted in grace, and it all comes to us in Christ. And if you have questions about that, or you came in thinking that, that you can earn your way to God then please talk to us today about how you can know your sins are forgiven in Christ, and from there, if you are saved, serve God in the resurrection power of Jesus. But believing that God does see your labor, He does reward faithfulness. We see that here, and He is pleased when we are good. When we honor Him, and whenever you experience the kindness of God, now don't stick your chest out and say, "Wow, I'm something." No, like Ezra, praise the Lord for his kindness and grace and mercy to you. That God would use a sinner like you is always an amazing gift of his grace. And then finally, Ezra gives thanks for God's power. And and again, and so he he ends his prayer by saying, Thus I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord my God and again, I love the humility that, that Ezra displays here because, because you have to imagine that Ezra was a high-powered personality. Like when I think of Ezra, I think of someone, I mean, he was a he was a he was probably a very intelligent, skilled man, probably right? the kind of guy that walks in a room and everyone notices Ezra. So, so I'm sure that, that you know, just by the influence that he has, this is, this is a gifted man of God. And obviously, he had trained hard for the work ahead, but he understood that he was useless to make a spiritual impact without spiritual power. He needed God's strength. This week, I, in my devotions, I came across 1 Peter 4.11, which fits so well with where we're at. 1 Peter 4.11 says, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I hope that we all long for the strength which God supplies. So so how do you enjoy that? Well, we'll live like Ezra, live in God's word and let it radically transform everything about you and then be zealous to make an impact for Christ, to teach God's word to those around you. And then watch. As God sees, God is pleased, and God uses you to impact others for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this chapter of Scripture. Thank you for the testimony and the example of Ezra. And thank you, God, in particular, for your word, which is truth and which is life. And Lord, I pray that that each of us here today would, would first and foremost know Christ in the gospel. And I pray that from there that we would live in your word, that we would strive by your grace to obey your word, and then, Lord, to make an impact in the lives of others through your word. And God, we look forward to how you will bless and to how you will work here in our church and in our community for your glory as we serve in the strength that you give. And so help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.